This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 199 called Sarah. Today's episode is sponsored by Prove, a women's health company dedicated to providing information, proactive fertility testing, and support so they can reach their goals faster. When Prove founder and PhD scientist Amy was trying to get pregnant, she suffered miscarriage after miscarriage, and no test or doctor could explain why. She ultimately turned to IVF to have her son. It was only after she uncovered the source of her troubles, a problem with ovulation, that she successfully conceived, this time only needing a simple, inexpensive supplement. She then set out to create an accurate, effective diagnostic to empower women to test at home. Did you know that ovulation is more than a yes or a no? In fact, it's possible to release an egg, but still not have enough progesterone, the hormone released after ovulation, to support implantation. Prove measures a hormone released after ovulation called PDG that supports implantation and pregnancy and tracks this hormone during the implantation window. A clinical study showed that sustained elevated PDG levels during the implantation window was associated with a 75% increase in successful pregnancies. If Prove testing kits uncover potential issues, the fix can be simple. Prove can also support you with further resources from science-backed supplements to connections with fertility doctors. Prove is truly a game-changing innovation for those battling infertility. So check out Prove, which is spelled P-R-O-O-V. My favorite part is that they're giving Infertile AF listeners a special discount code. So go to ProveTest, that's P-R-O-O-V-T-E-S-T.com, Enter the code ALLY25 and you'll get 25% off your first Prove order of $25 or more. Again, that's ProveTest.com. Use code ALLY, A-L-I-2-5, and you'll get 25% off your first Prove order of $25 or more. Thanks, Prove. This episode is supported by Receptiva DX. The Receptiva DX test can help couples struggling with unexplained infertility. Getting pregnant isn't easy, as so many of you know. Many couples struggle with infertility, and unexplained infertility can be particularly frustrating. Women facing unsuccessful IVF may not know that endometriosis is the underlying cause, a disease that can impact the success rates of IVF treatments and often has no symptoms. The Receptiva DX test can help identify endometriosis before an embryo transfer, and it has the potential to save women the stress, anxiety, and cost of multiple failed IVF attempts. The good news is multiple studies show treatment of women with a positive Receptiva DX test improves live birth outcomes by over 50%. Receptiva DX can detect all stages of endometriosis and help women make better decisions in planning for pregnancy. You can learn more at ReceptivaDX.com or download their app, which is also called Receptiva DX. All right, guys. So today I'm talking to this woman named Sarah who sent me an email from Shanghai, China, and she says this, I've always had good access to mental health support and friends in the U.S., but the past two years I've been living in Shanghai, China. The border remains closed due to COVID, so we've not been able to travel out at all. 
I recently experienced a miscarriage here between eight and nine weeks, had a DNC, and really struggled to find anyone to talk to about it. While Shanghai is a very modern city, it really lacks the sort of mental health awareness and access we have in the U.S., and it's been a real struggle. So Sarah's going to tell us all about her infertility journey, her secondary infertility journey, and the cultural differences and everything she's been going through. It's really interesting. We haven't covered this before, so I hope you guys enjoy it and learn some stuff. I certainly did. Without further ado, this is Sarah's infertility story. Hello, Sarah from Shanghai. How's it going? Good. Thank you. Good. How is life in Shanghai, China? You know, it's, it's, it's different. I'm American and we've been having, like in many ways, the very opposite pandemic to what the U.S. is going through. So it's been good, but also like a very alternate reality from most of the other people I know. So what does that look like? Like, what does that mean exactly? Basically, China has controlled the the virus um, more through lockdowns and mass testing and are not so reliant on vaccines and other things like that. So the border has been closed for now two years. Um, You know, none of our American friends can get into China. No one who's a who isn't a citizen or a, a visa holder can get in. They're just like not letting any new people into the country. So, you know, it's it's basically like more sealed off than it has been in a really long time. Mm -hmm. And so it's been like very safe being here. No one's actually worried about dying of COVID or getting sick. Mm -hmm. Their deaths were all very early and then tapered off, but Mm -hmm. there's still a lot of risk of being sent to a mandatory quarantine center, which is kind of scary. Mm -hmm. And then if you travel in and test positive, um, some really scary things happen just because they're not willing to let anything um, out of their controls. Mm-hmm. So, so what do you mean uh, by scary the, things happen? So if you test positive, you don't get to go home. You you don't get to pick where you go. You go to like a government quarantine center and you stay there until you start testing negative, which can take like a month or, mm-hmm. or two. And then you can go to a quarantine center from there, but you still have to stay there 14 days and continue to test negative before they'll let you out. So mm-hmm. like, I mean, I think I don't want to insult anyone in the actual prison system, but it's jail-like. Yes. Sounds like it. Wow. That's so interesting. So you haven't gotten it at all? No. Okay. Uh, no one I know has gotten it. It's, it's not like the US where... At this point, I think people just kind of like get it and move on. No one's had it. So they're also so afraid to open the border because no one has immunity. No one has built up resistance. I understand why they're kind of like backed into this corner, because if they were just to be like, well, let's open the border, everyone would get it at the same time and the hospitals would crash. So they're kind of like really they've cornered themselves, I think, in a way that that, you know, they just people didn't expect how long this would go on and how many variants would be. Right. Okay. So tell me, what are you doing there? You've been there for a couple of years, right? Like two years? Yeah, we've been here two years. We came from my husband's job. Okay. Um, And, you know, again, like I, you, as an expat, you end up like sort of seeing what's so different about other countries, but then you ultimately like, I feel like end up defending them because you're like, well, it's also really like, 
interesting and different and mm-hmm. there's some things that are really good about it. And so I feel like, yeah, it's not like a black and white situation. Yeah, of no, course. I, just, I, I worry about like sounding like I'm criticizing it too much because we've chosen to stay. We've had I a understand. lovely experience. Some of these things are really like beneficial, but sure. it's, it is hard to talk about the pandemic without being like, it's nothing like your right. pandemic totally separate pandemic. Right. So let's, let's start with your, the email you sent me and you were talking about, you know, you're going through infertility in China and you wanted to kind of talk about how different it is there. You were struggling to find somebody to talk to about it and all that. So you wrote Shanghai is a very modern city. It really lacks the sort of mental health awareness and access we have in the U S and it's been a real struggle. So let's start there. Tell me about when you guys started to try to have kids. Were you already in China? So I had my daughter in the U.S. Okay, with no issues. Like uh-huh. I was thirty-five when I got pregnant, thirty-six when she was born. Okay, I had really like, like anticipated that it would be harder to get pregnant because I knew people who had had miscarriages, knew people that had issues. So when there weren't any issues, that was actually like surprising for me. But that you know went well. It was like a pretty normal pregnancy, and then I just never got my period back. Uh huh. And that went on for a year and then went on for a second year. And by then we were living in China and I was like, Hey, I haven't had a period in two years. I'm pretty sure that's not normal. Mm-hmm. They checked me. I guess the first thing they do is they check you for menopause. And I was like, Oh, I'm pretty sure it's not that, but they had to like cross it off. It, it ended up being like some form of PCOS, which I feel like doesn't explain anything, but most people fall under in some way, but I just couldn't ovulate on my own anymore. They tried starting or restarting birth control. They started different like hormones to see if they could get it to go on its own. And it just, I'm just not ovulating. So we were here in China at that point. And I mean, we ended up doing what I think a lot of people do at the start of their infertility journey, which was Clomid. So I took Clomid I actually had a really great doctor. She was monitoring me really closely. She was trained in the US. Mm-hmm. And I actually got pregnant the very first time I took Clomid and was like, oh, see, I just needed like right. a little ovul- boost. Yeah. Like, no, I thought like, oh, see, no ovulation. All the problems start ovulating. Everything's fixed. So that was pretty exciting. I felt like, thank God, you know, this is just going to be easy, but because there weren't like that many resources and there weren't that many things going on and there just wasn't that many people to talk to, Mm -hmm. I like ended up in sort of like an online IVF support group just to see, you know, where I fell and what other people were dealing with. Uh Um, Online with people in China or online, like all over the world? Online with people in China. And it was just wild and overwhelming. Okay. um, Tell me, give me some specifics. What do you mean? Yeah. Yeah. So it seems like the main hospital that people go to here is like a local clinic and the, you kind of have to take a translator with you because most of the staff don't speak English. And unless your Chinese is really good, which isn't the case for a lot of expats, you just sort of like need someone to help you understand what's going on. Also the doctors tend to just be like culturally very different. Like one of the things I appreciate about China is people are very straightforward, but Mm -hmm. they'll just kind of tell you to your face, like, oh, your situation's bad. (laughs) You Mm -hmm. know, there's not a lot of coddling. They're just like, yeah, this doesn't look good. So no um, sugarcoating there. No, no. So a lot of people have had to just sort of like take support people with them. 
But then the situation with COVID is like, I think for a long time, you weren't allowed to take like a partner with you because they just don't want any extra people in the hospitals just due to like keep germs out and keep the spread of people out. So a lot of women were sort of like going through it alone, going through it with translators, trying to figure out why a doctor in a different country had told them something completely different. Yeah. Um, you know, there was all that going on. And then like at the same time, there are these women who would like made embryos in China, left the country and couldn't get back in and China won't send you your embryos. They won't transfer them out. So they have, some people still have frozen embryos here that they haven't seen in two years and oh, don't wow. they'll ever see because they can't get back in. And it's just not like a devastating shippable item. Um, right, and right. so that is really, I don't know. I think there's also the sort of the opposite situation where people are stuck here, left an embryo in another country and can't get back out either. Right. Wow. Um, Gosh, adding so much complication to an already super complicated and frustrating situation. I mean, I have joined this group just to like learn. And I thought like, well, it'll be like, I'm sure it'll be overwhelming, but it'll be like partly encouraging. And I was just kind of like, oh my God, Mm -hmm. this is all more than I can like think about right now. I'm just Mm going to take like my one little clomid success and like ignore this for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, So we had a pregnancy and we went in and we heard the heartbeat around six weeks. Okay. And I was like, well, you know, I feel good about that. Like most people will tell you, you know, you hear the heartbeat, chances are things are going to work out. Uh Uh, But unfortunately we went back at nine weeks and they looked for it. And, you know, even when the doctors don't speak English, when the ultrasound room gets like super quiet. Right. You know, by the look on their face. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, she was like, I'm so sorry. I'll meet you in the other room. And we went in the other room and she, I know she like gave me this like really long explanation of my options and like their hospital wasn't allowed to prescribe the drug. If I wanted to do that, I had to go to a different hospital. I wasn't sure if that hospital would speak English and I kind of just stopped listening. (laughs) And then you're probably in shock too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and she was like, go home and think about it. And I had to call them t- like two days later and be like, I know she talked to me for a long time, but I really don't remember anything she said. Can we like go over it again? Mm-hmm. And I was like, also, I'm not really, I mean, our our insurance is not American. It's actually much better, but I was like, I need to check with them and see what's covered. So like, can you send me an estimate? And they send me this estimate And again, it's like a a blunter country and things are like different, but they just wrote at the top, like estimate for an abortion. And I was like, oh, yeah, like that's a harsh word. Are you sure this is the term you meant to write? And they're like, oh, that's not that what it, that's what it goes under on like the medical file. Don't, don't worry about it. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, sounds aggressive. Thank you. Yes. Got a very Um, different connotation than what you're actually going through. This is, it's so common that you say that. I feel like I've talked to like five different women lately that have been faced with something similar, you know, and it's the climate for abortion is very different here. It's like more accepting, but it was still like not something I expected. Like, I just didn't think it applied to me. So mm-hmm. I was like, all right, all right, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll process that. Right. I ended up agreeing to do the DNC. So I went back to like my regular doctor. We did it there. I mean, I, she was very 
nice, you know, like the anesthesiologist didn't speak any English. And I had this like long explanation of which allergy medicine I was on. I was like trying to translate it on my phone and he didn't understand and I didn't understand. And I was just Mm -hmm. like, Oh, fuck this. Yeah. But, um, you know, other than, other than that, I went like really, well, I was glad I opted for that. Part of the reason I did that is uh, my daughter, who is now two at that point, had to have surgery the following week. And I mm-hmm. was like, I just can't sit around waiting for this like miscarriage to move on. And I don't want to be at her surgery experiencing my own medical like disaster. Let's just right. like cross the list. So like I went to the hospital one day and then like the week later we had to take her back and do her thing. Oh gosh. Um, Stressful. Turned out okay. I mean, for me, I just couldn't wait for it to like move along naturally. And I was also like, I also just felt like, all right, fine, 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 fine. That was like the very first time I took Clomid. Apparently I'm not that lucky, but I'm going to take it a second time and I'm going to take it as soon as possible. So also Mm -hmm. like, fuck this, give me the, give me the Clomid again. I'm ready. I don't want this to take any longer than, um, than it should. So. Right. Of course. Understandable. Yeah. So I mean, how was that yeah. whole thing for you? The DNC was hard, but it actually like physically didn't hurt as much as I thought it would. It, like it felt physically fine. I just really felt like at this point I needed some sort of like therapist or mental health group. Like I just thought like, oh, this is going to be harder than I thought maybe I'm not going to be the person with frozen embryos in another country, but I feel like really like not good right now. Mm-hmm. And I started to try to look for a therapist and I had such a hard time. Um, I did go see some Chinese lady who just kind of watched me cry for an hour and didn't say anything. And I was mm. like, oh, okay, I don't oh, think this God. is a good fit. Yeah. Um, yes. Nothing against her personally, but I was like, we are not connecting um, uh-huh. at all. I went to see this other guy. I saw him once. I was like, all right, I think this is workable. And then he left the country, which is also like very common for expats, you know, because of the situation with the border being closed. If anyone has like a family situation back home, they leave. So mm-hmm. the expat population is like way down and I couldn't find another doctor. And then there was this like support group I found. At first I couldn't even tell if it was supposed to be for like miscarriage or pregnancy loss because they called it the early loss support group and I had to like read pretty far down the paragraph to be like oh I think they mean miscarriage but they didn't want to say the word Mm -hmm. and I even messaged them being like oh I think you could like probably like I think a lot of people don't know what what this is for you might want to like just call it a miscarriage or loss group because it makes it like they called it early loss And I, whatever, I mean, I was just like, it kind of sounds like if your grandpa just died recently, but Uh anyway, I was like excited because there was like finally a support group and then, um, they didn't have enough people sign up so they couldn't start. And I was like, Oh man. But could you do Um, like tele support groups, like zoom from different places, or you wanted something that was like tied to China or locally, you know, I, yeah, I was kind of like open to anything. I didn't end up doing like a U.S. based thing, but I was, I kept wanting to like find something here or just, I think I also just wanted to like make someone listen to me that there should be more resources here, but it just, just like wasn't happening. Right. Yeah. So ultimately I just, just like, all right, I think I, I think I just need to like make some more friends and talk to some more actual humans mm-hmm. and like see how this works out. 
I also had in my mind that if I just got pregnant again, it would be fixed. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, the therapist that left the country, even right before he left, he was like, oh, well, you know, your chances of getting pregnant again are, are, are pretty good. Maybe we could just sort of like focus on that. And I was like, yeah, maybe. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I think I just kind of like temporarily gave up and was like, all right, I know what the answer is. Get pregnant again. And then you won't feel bad. You'll feel like problem solved. Right. Things are good. So let me ask you this, Sarah, what's, what's like the, if you had to say the general consensus for people that you've met in China mm-hmm. in terms of infertility and going through treatment, is there, is that different than in the U S would you say? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of things that are different. I mean, just to talk about the local, well, this affects expats and locals. You do not qualify um, for IVF unless you have a marriage license. Mm-hmm. So um, if you are a, a homosexual couple or a single person, you cannot be treated with IVF or IUI mm-hmm. or anything like that. You have, they will, they ask for your marriage license. You have to show it. So okay. I'm not in that boat, but I've also seen like support groups for people trying to figure out how they might be able to like leave the country to seek fertility treatment because it's not allowed here. Um, yeah. There was, there is an ongoing lawsuit, which is interesting, filed by a Chinese woman. It is not played out in the courts, but I believe the court like agreed to hear it, which like a, is a sign that like it will get more attention and mm-hmm. the case will at least be heard. But yeah, I mean, that's definitely a huge hurdle. And some people can't even get started here because of that. Mm-hmm. And then there's this huge hangover of um, the one child policy, which is hard. It's hard to figure out exactly how that fits in. But until um, 2015, 2016, the government mandated policy was that you could only have one child. Mm-hmm. And that was for Chinese um, expats were exempt. But, you know, they've wound up in this position now where like, fertility isn't like on off switch. So they took away the one child thing and no one is having two kids. Cause it's just like, not what anyone is used to not what people grew up with. And it's also just considered like too expensive. And there's this whole culture of just like putting everything into one child. Mm-hmm. There's a culture of people that didn't have siblings. And so that was also something I kind of found with the secondary infertility is like, particularly if you have one kid in, in a nation where people were not allowed to have more than one, it feels weird to be like really vocal about like needing two or why you would even need to, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's a strange place to, to try to push for the second one, even if it's not illegal anymore. It's, right. it's like, there's a different cultural perspective on that here. Yeah. That's so interesting. Cause obviously <clears throat> having gone through secondary infertility myself, I know that it's, it can be complicated and, you know, people can say things or think that, you know, you're being greedy or that, you know, you already have one. So what are you doing? You know, all that stuff. So that just makes it in your situation even harder. Yeah. And that was, I mean, that was one of the things that just made it harder to find other people to talk to is Mm -hmm. like, I really just didn't feel like I could talk to anyone who also had infertility, but didn't have any kids because they just couldn't see it the same way. And I understand, but I got like, I'm sure all the same insensitive comments you've, we've heard, like, well, at least you can get pregnant or at least you do have one and that kind of thing. And I, that, you know, it just became harder to be like, Oh, I I don't think these are going to be my infertility. Yeah, totally. And as we've, I've said a million times before, anything that starts with at least is, is rarely helpful. Right. It's like, fuck off. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, all right. So let's go on with your story. Tell me what happened next for you guys. We did clomid a second time. It didn't take. And then at that point, we have a we do have a different vaccine here. It's not the American Pfizer, whatever. Mm-hmm. The only available uh, vaccine in China is the China-made Sinovac, Sinopharm vaccine. Mm-hmm. And at the time, they were telling women, if you got vaccinated, you shouldn't try to get pregnant for like six months. And then it was like three months. And so all these women, myself included, started to stress out like, well, should I get vaccinated and like pause my fertility journey or should I just not get vaccinated? This is around the time that India had that huge outbreak and people were dying. And my doctor just kind of sat me down and was like, read the headlines, India, you need to like stop and go get your vaccines. And then I'll give you some more Clomid after that. And I was like bitter, like in the grand scheme of things, it's not that long, but I was Mm -hmm. like, no, no, I'm not losing another few weeks because of this stupid vaccine. I want my American vaccine. They don't do this in America. I'm a citizen. I want, I want my vaccine. It's not available here. They're not offering it in this country. Also probably a pretty bad idea to keep being unvaccinated. Like that's not safe either. So I finally like relented and agreed to go get the the Sinopharm, which is the Chinese made one. Uh Um, they've never really released. It's not the most transparent country. They've never really released anything showing it has uh, a negative impact. And, you know, the thing about like taking like Clomid or IVF, you have to be transparent with your doctors. I'm sure some women had sex the day after they got the second vaccine and accidentally got pregnant and no one gave them any shit about it. But Mm -hmm. like, there's all this extra, stuff if you can't just sort of like do it without assistance without the drugs so Mm -hmm. that's just sort of how it worked out here okay so finally I was vaccinated and I took Clomid for the third time I think this time we ended up doing Clomid letrozole I went back in and we added a trigger shot and I ended up getting pregnant off of that one I felt like good about getting pregnant for like a day or two. Mm -hmm. And then I just started to have like more massive anxiety about another miscarriage because this time I was like, well, it doesn't mean anything. If you hear the heartbeats, you know, like Clomid didn't work the first time. Uh, I don't know about this. You know, I just, I didn't feel confident about anything. And then it was like, I think it was like five or six weeks. Mm-hmm. I had had this like pretty like like a like a pretty bad headache on and off for three days, and I was like, well, I guess I feel pregnant now. Like this is like a crappy side effect. Mm-hmm. And then the headache went away, and I was like, oh, oh, I'm, I'm positive that I'm having a miscarriage because I had symptoms, and now I don't have symptoms. Mm-hmm. So I went and took an at-home pregnancy test, and it came up negative, and I was like, oh, yeah. I'm like, like I'm hundred percent right. Like there's no way this, this isn't a miscarriage. I called the doctor and I was like, oh, I'm having a miscarriage. I took a at home pregnancy test. And she was like, uh, why don't you come in for some blood work? And I was like, all right, but I, I'm, I'm confident. I know what's mm-hmm. happening. Like mm-hmm. don't fuck with me. Um, right. Um, so I went in and they took the blood work and I was like, uh, you know, call me later, but I know what you're going to say. And they called me and they were like, you're still pregnant how old was the pregnancy test you took? And I was like, oh, I didn't check the fucking expiration date. Oh, like, it was expired. 
I don't, I have no idea. I have no idea, but they were like, maybe it was old or like a bad one. And she was like, will you just like, do me a favor and throw away all your home pregnancy tests? Like, just, if you need something, come to my office, we'll do the blood work, but you uh-huh. don't need to be taking those right now. And I was like, uh, yes, ma'am. I'm so sorry. Um, oh my gosh. And yes, I am still pregnant. I'm 32 weeks now, but it's, it's been kind of like that on and off. Like, yeah. Even though, the anxiety. Yeah. Just like, and like, maybe also me just like maybe looking for it more. It just feel like, I just don't feel super confident in this one. And I, I mean, I, I've listened to your podcast, but I've also known uh, one person that had like a stillborn baby much later. And so I'm also just like aware that like, mm. there is, there kind of isn't a point where you just know, like it will definitely work out now. Like it just doesn't feel like the safe point exists. And, you know, like I'm happy to like know the truth and hear other people's stories, but then it's hard not to think about like things can still go wrong, even like pretty late. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, that's part of infertility is right. We're like, it ruins so much for us mentally Mm -hmm. and you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop and you're always on the wrong side of the statistics. And they're like, Oh, there's only a, you know, 2% chance. And then you're in that 2%, you know, that's so it's it's so hard. It's so hard, but um, I mean, one of the things that happened with the earlier pregnancy and the miscarriage is I actually had told my daughter because we were excited mm-hmm. and you know with the whole like I only I only needed clomid once I'm fixed thing is like I did feel confident so we had told her she was going to be a big sister and then for like a few months after that she kept asking about it and it was just so hard to be like oh sweetie um not right now you know we're we're just know and like I mean we had to just sort of tell her like no 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 Right. And her, her school was just going through this huge baby boom. Like she was friends with all the other two-year-olds and everyone was getting a baby that year. They were literally like everywhere and she would see them. Right. Mom, baby. And I would be like, yeah, I, I, I know, I know. Oh man. I see it too. It's but so hard. It I just, know you want to give them a sibling and you right. know, they're too little to kind of understand what's going on, but they know something's going on. Right. And it's yeah, like, now she knew something was going on. And she also was like very aware everybody else had a baby at home and we did not have one. And I was like, yeah, I mean, that was just really hard. It's not that I, I don't know. I would probably still tell her again, but it was really hard to figure out how to untell her or what to tell her, you know, she doesn't have any concept of death or anything. And so we didn't Mm -hmm. really go into that, but we were just like, it's going to take longer. Not now it's not here right now. And, and, you know, just sort of like get her to like focus on something else. hundred percent. Well, I'm rooting for you and hoping that everything goes well for the rest of this pregnancy. How long do you think you guys will stay in China? Are you, is this like a long-term thing? No, I mean, um, I mean, again, we're we're not like permanent residents or anything. So of course we can actually be asked to leave at any time. Uh, but the work visa situation should last at least two more years. So, you know, um, we're having a boy, our son will be born here. You know, I'm excited for him to have some time here and to experience some things here, but 
we haven't been able to see any U.S. family. My sister had a baby in the U.S. a year and a half ago. I've never met the baby. Oh, um, yeah, she hard. can't come here and I can't go there. So at some point, it would be nice for the kids to all meet, to see grandparents. You know, life here is very good, but it's just, it, I mean, it is really cut off from the rest of the world. Thank you guys so much for listening and thank you so much to Sarah for giving this perspective that we haven't shared before. I love all these diverse stories from all over the world. So thank you again to Sarah for writing in. If you guys need extra support, you know about Fertility Rally. It's on Instagram at Fertility Rally. This is the community that Blair and I created and it's the place I wish I had when I was going through it. We've got four support groups a week. We've got three private Facebook groups. We've got this community of badasses, 500 people strong, and we are here for you no matter what you're going through. So check us out at fertilityrally.com. We open the first week of every month and we are welcoming all of you, anybody. So spread the word. If you are a Fertility Rally member, we love you. Thank you for being a part of our family. We're always looking to expand and grow. So DM me at Stories or on Fertility Rally if you have any questions and I will talk to you guys next time. Thanks. Thanks.